that that line is essentially a take on you know with great power comes great responsibility without right. force feeding it. It's yeah. basically saying you know if you have um, the ability to do what's right, then you have the responsibility to do what's right. What's up, story geeks? It's Daryl and Jay. On the Story Geeks podcast, we love to dig deeper into geek stories, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. And today's topic is Spider-Man in the MCU, although we'll branch a little bit out of that here and there. Um, And specifically, when we dig deeper, it means that we'll be exploring the themes, characters, and thinking behind Spider-Man in the MCU to discover what it reveals about justice, hope, fear, love, violence, and anything else that's critical to our fandom and the world at large. And we would love for you guys to join our conversation. So the best way to do that is to join the Story Geeks Facebook group. It's a fantastic place to continue our discussion on Spider-Man and for you to share your thoughts about anything geek related. So click the link in the show notes and request to join us. Absolutely. And before you forget, clip the <laughs> clip, click the subscribe <laughs> button on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, then just click the subscribe button on YouTube as well. You don't want to miss our upcoming shows. What do we have coming up, Daryl? We have Ant-Man, Jurassic Park. Sorry, my brain. Yeah, we have lots of things going coming up. We had a top 10 geek movies of all time podcast. But one podcast I want to make you guys aware of as well is that Network 1901 is doing a podcast where Angie from Network 1901 is for the first time reading first issues of comic books. And Daryl's doing an intro on that on behalf of the Story Geeks. So definitely check out Network 1901 and what they're up to. You're going to probably hear me say Network 1901 multiple times during this podcast. So yeah, thanks for listening in. And as always, the Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. That's right. That is enough about us. Let's That's talk right. about somebody else. We have a guest. We have a fantastic guest. We have an amazing guest. <laughs> Uh, we have Mr. Scott Nicewander from Nerd Sync. Scott, welcome. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. Tell us about Nerd Sync and let everybody know what you're doing over there. Yeah, so Nerd Sync is uh, a YouTube channel where we analyze uh, comic books and superheroes and learn about the real world history, science, philosophy, culture uh, that goes into you know superheroes and, and superhero stories. Yeah. And uh, it's just a really fun time. I've been doing it for uh, about five years now. And uh it's just been a blast. I love I love learning, and I love trying to show people that, you know, the world is interesting, but maybe the way that we've been taught in school is a little boring. So if we learn through <laughs> if we learn through superheroes, then maybe you know that that makes people realize that uh, you know philosophy and and history can actually be really cool and exciting. Yeah, absolutely, sure. and it fits so well with our audience. So if you like what we're doing here at the Story Geeks, definitely go check out Scott's channel. Nerd Sync on YouTube. We should have a link to it in the show notes. So just go click on that, subscribe. Uh, you just you described it perfectly. You, like we do, you dig deeper. Yeah. And you go into all of the things that are happening in the stories, why they're happening, the philosophies behind everything. Fantastic. Highly recommend you guys check it out. Yeah. For sure. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. He so, traveled all the way out here. That's right. Across um, the country, just to be with us. From the distant. Not, <laughs> not to go to VidCon. <laughs> yeah, no other reason. <laughs> That's right, no other reason. <laughs> okay, you love Spider-Man. I sure do. So let's talk about Spider-Man. Let's. Um, let's dive into some questions here. Spider-Man, I would say, is arguably Marvel's most popular character. Would you For agree sure. with that? Yeah, 100%. Why? What makes him unique as compared to other superheroes? So 
Start us off. Tell us what you think. Yeah, so I think Stan Lee himself has talked about this a lot before in, in interviews, and I, I tend to agree. And it's the idea that Spider-Man is one of the first superheroes that had a full body costume that covered him from head oh, to toe. Yeah. Hmm. And that allowed readers to project themselves into that character because it mm. could be anybody under that costume. Like we know it's Peter Parker for sure, but when he's actually Spider-Man, you can't tell that it's Peter Parker. Yeah. You, it could be you, it could be anybody. Hmm. And I think that's what resonated. And that, and also him being a teenager, which is a big demographic for comic books, uh, especially at that time uh, when, he, when he debuted, I think that is a huge, those two things are a huge factor to what made Spider-Man super popular, like immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I had, I had a similar thought without, because I don't know the background. Like Scott knows the background. Daryl knows a lot of the background. <laughs> I don't know the background as much. But the first thing that, that came up to my mind was, well, he's like one of the youngest ones, mm -hmm. especially at the time. So, and that, that impacts his worldview as well. So he tends to be uh, one of the most positive of all the comic characters that we see. Um, he has lots and lots of energy. Life hasn't really worn him down yet. I mean, you <laughs> compare like him to like a Batman who's so cynical yeah. and dark and like the world is evil, it must conquer. Whereas Spider-Man is more like, there's bad people doing bad stuff, but I'd like to stop them. You know what I mean? Like, right, so yeah. it's kind of like a different different vibe. He has gone through some things, um, obviously, with it, depending on what, you know, with what you're reading, he's had uh, he's had his uncle die. He's had his parents be taken from him. Mm -hmm. um, but he's an optimist, and his passion drives him. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really key to be his popularity. And you said this, uh, Scott, and I think it's so true. As a kid, you immediately identify with him because you're like, "Oh, cool, me." Right? Yeah. Um, and he has all of the things that, like, as kids you hope for. Like, oh, what if I could do that stuff? And, like, what if I had a secret identity? And so I think particularly for kids and particularly for those who, of us who grew up with him, yeah. he's so relatable. And I, I would add to that, too. Like, um, when Spider-Man was being pitched by Stan Lee to Martin Goodman, who was the head at Marvel at the time, um, Stan always told uh, that he had three notes. Martin Goodman had three notes. He said, "You can't do it. You can't make a character about spiders. People hate spiders. They can't. <laughs> they can't be the hero. They can only be the villain." Um, the second was, uh, you know, you can't have a hero that has real problems because heroes are supposed to be super. They're supposed to be away from problems, an escape from problems. You yeah. Know? And the third one was, you can't have the main superhero be a teenager. Teenagers are sidekicks. Oh. Um, so back in the early days of comic books they would introduce these kid characters to like Captain America had Bucky, Batman had Robin. Yep. Uh, you would have these sidekicks to be something that the, the kid audience could relate to. And Spider-Man was the first one that was like, I don't need a hero. I, I am the hero, <laughs> you know? And I think that was such a huge uh, revolutionary thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like how he's, uh, he's really the best picture we get of what it looks like for a normal person to be a superhero. Yeah. Cause a lot of superheroes, you know, even Superman and Batman, you know who they are. Yeah as their alter egos, but you don't see it. You see the big superhero stuff. With Spider-Man, he's a guy, who he's a reporter, he's a high school student who happens to be a superhero. Yeah, yeah and like when he first started out, right, like he, his first instinct was not to be a superhero. His first instinct was, I'm gonna use my powers to get money. I'm gonna use my powers to go on a TV show and like show off and get money, or I'm gonna wrestle and get money. And oh, it was yeah. only after he had a, the tragic accident with Uncle Ben, yeah. spoilers, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that he decided, you know, maybe I should use my power. And I think that adds to that relatability is like, if 
people just got superpowers, I'm pretty sure their first instinct would be, how do I use this to get yeah. rich? Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, what can this do for me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a very selfish act, and it was only through tragedy that I became a superhero. That's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. Well, we're going to focus mostly on the MCU Spider-Man here, but we gotta, we need to know, just overall, who is everybody's favorite cinematic Spider-Man. So, Jay, why don't you start? Mm. Who's your favorite? It's not really even a fair question for me because as soon as Tom Holland was introduced, I'm like, Tom Holland. Yeah. Like, he's the guy. Yeah. I love Tom Holland. <laughs> it's that role. And I think that, like, I actually really liked Andrew Garfield's. Um, but as I was looking at this, I, I could see that, like, Andrew Garfield played the role in a very emo way. And I'm not saying that negatively. He just was like an overwhelmed with emotion Spider-Man. Yeah. Whereas Tobey Maguire played the role pretty dopey. Like, the, oh, I'm kind of not I'm Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. Um, I think Tom Holland has Garfield's charisma with Maguire's kind of younger perspective. And it just kind of works. I don't know. It works so well. Uh, I think he's kind of perfect for the role. So... For some reason, when you said Tom Holland has Garfield's charisma, yeah, <laughs> I went right to the big fat orange cat. Of course, <laughs> I'm like that doesn't make any yeah, sense. So applicable, yeah. I think. <laughs> Remember that scene in Homecoming when he was like, "Man, I really hate Mondays." <laughs> but here's a lasagna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I also am a huge fan of of Tom. I love what. Toby Maguire brought to the role, and we can talk about that in a bit, but, like, I love Tom Holland's Spider-Man for, for one asset that no other Spider-Man has brought to the role, in my opinion, which is this idea that Spider-Man is a very unlucky character. He messes up a lot, uh, little ways, big ways, like, he'll just, like, his suit, like, that's what I loved about Homecoming, his suit malfunctioned, he, like, a big part of the movie was exploring him screwing up he'll yeah. do something and something bad will happen or just like a little funny thing where he'll like trip over something or do and it's just spider-man is a very clumsy very unlucky character and i think that homecoming is the first movie that really explored mm. that fully i think he didn't feel like because all the other spider-man uh movies once he became spider-man he was like pretty good at being spider-man like almost <laughs> immediately yeah uh, but tom holland's felt like it was a character who was still learning and i think that's why I really That's like it. That's a great point, yeah. Yeah. He's my favorite, too. I mean, I think he's the best balance. Like you were saying, Tobey Maguire was a little more lighthearted. I think you said dopey. I would agree <laughs> with that. <laughs> and Andrew Garfield was darker. And I love Andrew Garfield as an actor. Mm -hmm. I think he's fantastic. I do, too. Um, but he was a little darker. Yeah. A little, little hard to buy as a high school student, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I think Tom Holland just has the perfect blend. He, he can do dark. He can be dopey. He, can, <laughs> he makes sense as a high school student. He's not, but he looks like one. Mm -hmm. so. Well, and he also, like, you've mentioned this to me before, and I've just been paying attention to it, so this is more of your comment than mine. Uh -huh. But he has, he has the physicality and the athleticism that yeah. the other two guys – didn't seem to have quite as much. He could be Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. He, he I mean, probably he is. Stuff. <laughs> I mean, have you seen them together in the same room? I, I haven't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. Okay, so, well, then, it bodes well that we all love Tom Holland because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But really quickly, before we do, let's talk about Toby and Andrew and just some of the things that we did love about them and their portrayals of Spider-Man. So... Do you want to kick us off here? Yes. The thing I love about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is nothing. But I love Tobey Maguire. <laughs> um, here's what I love about Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is 
Uh, I actually didn't care for his Spider-Man, but I loved his Peter Parker. He was the Peter Parker that felt so awkward and uncomfortable to be around. Like, mm. oh, I, yeah. I couldn't tell if it was on purpose or just how Tobey Maguire is. But, like, <laughs> when when he, when there are scenes of him as Peter Parker, you feel like, oh, I don't really know if I want to be around this guy. Like, he's just he's very cringy. He's very, yeah, very ugh, awkward. And I felt like, you know, that's a perfect portrayal of Peter Parker. He's supposed to be this guy who's not very confident. Mm. Who's not, where, and then you get the duality. Once he puts on the Spider-Man costume, then all of that goes away. And mm. he's just like, you know, really energetic, you know, f- swinging all over the place, going crazy, having fun. But once that costume is off, then he goes back into like really uncomfortable mm. Peter Parker. And I think mm. that's the part of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man that I enjoyed. Um, don't care for Andrew Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I'm, I kind of feel the opposite way. So I'll dive into Andrew Garfield first really quick. Cause I think that what Andrew brought that we haven't seen yet from Tom, there's a little glimpse of it maybe mm-hmm. in, in infinity war, but he brought a depth of inner turmoil that I think it made sense in the context of, uh, what was it? The amazing Spider-Man was the first one with him, right? Yeah. The second one didn't, he didn't quite, the whole film didn't quite do it, right? Right. But the first one, I think he really nailed that inner turmoil. Sometimes maybe a little too much where he started to feel like a character from Twilight yeah. as opposed to like a Spider-Man. Um, he, he was an angsty teen, if you will, right? Sure was. Um, and I think that that style lends itself to a lot of range, mm-hmm. which I think is really good. And I think we saw a glimpse of that range when Tom in Infinity War has his really classic scene there um i think that andrew actually handled a lot of the banter the spidey banter pretty well i thought as well Mm -hmm. um now tommy mcguire i think uh more the stories he was in than the performance per se but he did really good at playing off of his friendships yeah and i think you see tom holland do that a little bit um, with Ned, but I think Toby really like every every one of his friends was integral to what was going on in his life, yes. and he played that off really well. Like, and you felt that with him. Um, I think Tom could do it. Just Tom hasn't had that kind of exposure yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought that the Toby uh, J Jonah Jameson relationship was super fun. Um, and so that was really cool too. So I think a lot of the story elements that were given to Tobey Maguire's character were really strong. Mm. Um, and I think if Tom was given the same, it'd be even better probably. So that's kind of the two takes, I think a little bit. And but, yeah, yeah, I mean, just to kind of add on to that, like talking about, um, the dynamic between him and J. Jonah Jameson, that goes back to this idea when, when he's Peter Parker interacting with J. Jonah Jameson, he's very timid. He doesn't want to mm. uh, extend too far. He tries to like hold back on Jameson in, in one part. Um, and you know, he just folds immediately. <laughs> Whereas when he's Spider-Man, you know, he'll just like joke around with Jameson, poke fun at him. So you, it's again, you kind of get that sense of a duality of this, of the two characters. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm more in line with you, Jay. I, so I will say, growing up, I didn't read Spider-Man a whole lot. It was mm-hmm. not one of my favorite characters. So, Scott, you can tell me if this is true. I, I think maybe being a fan of the comics helps appreciate the Tobey Maguire version. Would you say that's true? Yeah, maybe a little okay. bit. Because yeah, yeah. for me, the Tobey Maguire version was just so goofy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's just because I didn't 
resonate with that. And then, the, to be honest, there's some people in those movies that I don't like, like James Franco and some of those other oh, people sure. too. But, uh, but I definitely resonated more with Andrew Garfield. But again, felt like he was still too dark. Mm. Which I felt like they striked a really good balance of it in the first movie, and then in the second movie, not so much. Yeah, the second movie just doesn't work for some reason. I'm not the quite one, sure why. I think the one redeeming quality the second movie has for me is like the near perfect comic accurate costume mm. of oh. Spider Man. It's it's I think it's still my favorite Spider Man costume yeah. on on film. Cool. Mm. I have to go look at. I have to go look it up. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, I think we're all glad that things are in Tom Holland's hands. <laughs> so let's let's move on to talking about that. So when we do these character journey talks, we like to go through each movie one by one and just kind of take a quick look at them. So we'll go through the three movies that Tom Holland's Spider-Man has appeared in and just talk a little bit about uh, some of the guiding themes and you know what is it kind of what is his character like in those movies. So uh, Jay, why don't you start us off on this one and talk about him in Captain America: Civil War. Yeah, from a storytelling perspective, his role in Civil War is handled beautifully because there's a lot of ways that you could screw up adding Spider-Man in a movie that's <laughs> not a Spider-Man movie. Like, there's a lot of ways you can make that bad. Uh, but, I mean, they introduce him um, as a newbie and almost immediately into one of the most important fights that the MCU has had at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guiding theme here to me is that... Um, Spider-Man is actually kind of being used by Tony. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's kind of interesting because it shows that Peter is kind of gullible, impressionable, and has zero context into the scenario that he's entering. (laughs) Right? Right. Um, Which I think is really interesting because it makes him a perfect pawn for Tony. Um, And I think that that uh, naivety sets up the groundwork for us needing to learn more about Spidey and where he's coming from, Mm -hmm. which then sets up homecoming incredibly well. So that's kind of my take from from that. Yeah. I I think my favorite part of, um, of civil war is the fact that they didn't recap his origin. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Number one, because we all know what it is, but also because it, it's one of those things where like, you know, Jaws is really famous because it didn't show the shark for most of the mm-hmm. film. Yeah. This allows, like, the fact that he just has brief little um, lines about, like, why he's Spider-Man or, like, mm. the the, tragi- the tragedy in the past that we don't really fully know about. I think that's really um, interesting because it allows the audience to, like, think about it, maybe make it worse than it actually is to stew on it and be like, man, something really bad, you know, without having to spell it out for everybody. Mm. I think it's a really cool... Um, narrative choice to to set up his character in a way that holds back information um, so that you kind of project it uh, project whatever you think onto him and it just it's it's really interesting it's a yeah. cool idea yeah it is cool it's really cool yeah and I love how we get to see his him thinking this whole superhero world is so cool like he's yeah. all starstruck <laughs> by meeting Cap right. and he's just super excited to be a part of all of this stuff and you know, the fake Stark internship and all that kind of good stuff. But I think it's just super fun to see him there. I love how it gives us kind of a preview of how big the Marvel Universe could get after Civil War, mm-hmm. you know, with Black Panther as well. Mm-hmm. And we, I know we don't get a lot of him, but we get we get the, the silly, wisecracking Spider-Man that we enjoy. Yeah. We get to see him interact with, other, with a bunch of other characters, which I really love. I know you tend to like the more standalone stories. 
Usually, yeah, usually. But I love, you know, throw a bunch of characters together. It makes me happy. That movie is one one of the movies, though, that I would say handles it so well yeah, that yeah. I can't complain about it. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So super fun. So let's move on to Homecoming then. Scott, what do you think about his character in Homecoming? I I think he's really fleshed out a lot more. Yeah. Um, I think you definitely see a kid who just wants to get approval by by mm. Tony he wants mm. to prove himself as a hero he you know he had this one battle in civil war where he was like he was immediately thrown into like this big superhero universe and then he has to go back home and just kind of live his life and he wants more of that he wants more of that excitement and that adventure yeah. um, but he has to prove himself and he goes overboard and he puts a lot of people in danger and uh, so you get a lot of uh, interesting dynamic between him and Tony um, and just also uh, his personality of, of where he's coming from and, mm-hmm. and what he wants to be as Spider-Man I think is really interesting yeah totally I, I tell me if you guys think this I feel like Peter Parker in Homecoming is kind of like Luke Skywalker in A New Hope, right? Like he's like <laughs> okay. he's like starts out is like starts out on the on. And I think he's it's not quite the hero's journey. I don't think it maps to the hero's journey quite the same way that like Star Wars does, which yeah. is like on the nose kind yeah. of. Um, but it provides this arc that takes Peter throughout this journey, and um, I think it's a perfectly characterized by Tom Holland the way that Tom Holland tackles it and the way that it's written for him. Yeah. Um, it's, it's written in a little bit different of a, of a way because what's interesting about it to me is that because it doesn't start with the origin story the way that we understand the origin story, it allows us to recognize that he's still so naive and that his na- naivety is not necessarily coming from a place of hurt. Mm-hmm. Where it's coming in the other, because like I actually brought when you brought it up, I totally forgot. I used to love the comic where he went and tried to be a wrestler first. Yeah. Like, that was great, right? Like, yeah. and, and and you're right. He he took like uh, the first few selfish steps, mm-hmm. but here he doesn't. Here he's like instantly like I'm gonna go help people. I'm gonna be a part of this superhero deal, and um, I think that that's a really interesting place to take him, and I think it works because of Tom Holland, his positivity, and because we don't see the tragedy, so we know it's there. Yeah. And if we had seen it, we'd be like, why is this guy not more depressed or something about this? But instead, it gives him a motivation without us having to experience the emotional weight of it. So that when he's positive and naive, we're like, that's okay. He'll learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that part of it. So I like that. And, and he seems a little bit younger too, right? Like he seems a little bit younger yeah. than the other Spider-Man. So Definitely. it was great. What I love about that movie is you get to know him through these quiet little moments in life like one of my favorite moments in that whole movie is when he's at the thai restaurant with aunt may yeah and then um the waiter like brings her like what was like an, a dessert or yeah, something like yeah. that and peter's like oh i think he larves you you know <laughs> larb is a thai dish but um yeah i just little moments like that that's how we choose to get to know him rather than you know a more obvious approach of like like here peter's a nerd here Peter's uncle died. I mean, yeah. important yeah. parts of who he is, but it's a lighter touch, and it's more of a John Hughes esque touch. Yeah, Definitely. Oh, that's a good comparison. So. I like that. I also, I also think that this, that Homecoming, is the first Spider-Man movie, in my opinion, 
that really hones in on the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man aspect. Because you get yeah, the yeah, scenes yeah. in the beginning where he's just kind of going around doing all these little things to help out. That's a great um, point. Whereas all the other movies, you really only see him when he has to do something big and heroic or whatever. Yeah. Whereas Homecoming, you know, he's like itching for the next big adventure, but all he has are little things like helping someone, like preventing someone from stealing a bike or something. Or like, you know, <laughs> it's like all the little tidy things. And it's just, yeah, I love that. And That's once true. again, they lean on Robert Downey Jr. to make those sort of cheesy lines okay for us. Yeah. yeah he says, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. That's he right. does Might's Earth's Mightiest Heroes and the Avengers. And right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just accept it from him. It's okay. He's, he's, he's flawless. Um, but I another thing I love about that movie, I love the journey that Peter goes through in sort of becoming the hero. Like, you're right, it's not the classic hero's journey. Yeah. But even just the scene, and just so you know, spoilers are okay here, so dive into it. Feel free. But um, (laughs) towards the end, after he's fought Vulture and he's got that, you know, that wall caving in on him and stuff like that, and he's crushed underneath the rubble, and just the motivation to get through that and to get out of it and to go fight back and grow up and be the hero, I love watching him go through that. That was honestly one of the most emotional um, scenes in an MCU film, I think, for me. It it was such a tonal shift from the rest of the movie, which was, Mm. like, very fun and lighthearted. And then you get to this moment where, like, you feel like he's actually dying. Yeah. And, like, you feel that there are stakes. And that just, I mean, Tom Holland just acted so beautifully of that scene like he uh, you felt that anguish and you felt that that you know pain he was going through mm-hmm. and it was just so well done and I, also I, I love the idea now that you mentioned like Luke Skywalker and, yeah. and, and <laughs> New Hope I, I can't help see the comparison between like Luke staring out at the the, the sunset uh-huh. longing for adventure comparing that to Tom Holland Spider-Man uh, like looking at the laptop with the big uh, Civil War fight just being like I want that again you know, like, <laughs> it's, the comparison is so it's so good yeah there you go I know totally totally um, okay so how about Avengers Infinity War Scott why don't you kick us off on this one how do you feel about him in that one uh, I heartbreaking I mean, obviously so heartbreaking <laughs> are you kidding me oh, there was I mean obviously that that scene brought tears to my eyes for sure. Uh, but I just, I loved his, you know, f- more relationship with Tony. They're really, mm-hmm. they're really um, emphasizing the two of them, yeah. uh, how he just wants to, he's still at, you know, after all these the other two movies, he still wants to try and impress Tony. He still yeah. wants to help out. He still wants to be the guy, uh, you know, to, to save the day, even though he's so young, like, you know, you get the sense that Tony really just scared for him. Like, you know, you, go back. You shouldn't be here sort of a thing. Um, but yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah. They set up. Okay. So in, in hopefully everybody's seen infinity war by now, but cause there's going to be spoilers for that movie, <laughs> but, um, they set up his death scene so well to make it so heartbreaking yeah. Yeah. because here's, here's a kid who has been the eternal optimist through all this stuff. They didn't show us him going through and experiencing the uncle Ben or his parents' mm-hmm. death. So because they didn't show us that, we look at this kid and go, it doesn't seem like he's, we know that the tragedy is back there. We know that he's motivated by something that is probably tragic, but you didn't show it to us. Mm -hmm. So we see him as more kid-like and more innocent and more naive. And even after like, even after he faces off against Vulture, he's lost some of that 
innocence. But even it, that, even that doesn't feel like he's faced off against the the widespread consequences because he's been battling between two good forces, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then he's moving on to Vulture, which is a bad force, but it's kind of like a smaller bad force. It's not yeah. like a world-ending bad force. And then, <laughs> bam, Thanos. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think what happens there is that um, first the pairing that I love the most in that film is when they pair Peter with Strange. Yes. Because you have like two completely opposing worldviews smacking each other in the face. Like, I'm the really optimistic kid who doesn't really know that much. And I know all of the arcane arts and I'm very pessimistic about <laughs> yes. the world. Right. And then you pair those two together, which is awesome. And I think that um, that works really well because then when we see Thanos come in, like, as Peter is starting to really experience what it's like to be a hero with these peers that he loves, and it's like taken away from him. And it's just yeah. like, oh, my gosh, how can you do that to us? Very, 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 very emotional scene. Yeah, absolutely. And I like how he, in this one, more than even in Homecoming, he's jumping into being a hero for the sake of being a hero. Yeah. yeah. Not just wanting to be involved with the action and stuff like that. Right. Like jumping up onto the ship, you know, and yep. not necessarily thinking about the consequences, which is something I'm sure he'll learn as we go. <laughs> right. Um, assuming he's not dead. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But even when they kill him, you know, unquotes kill him, we know. I mean, I guess we don't know 100% for sure, but we pretty much know that this is not the end of Tom Holland as Spider-Man. There's another right. movie coming. Like, we know. But that scene was still very impactful, I think, because of how much we've come to care about him as Peter. Yep. Definitely. So, um, so okay, so in the MCU specifically, and Jay, why don't you kick us off on this one? What do you think motivates Peter to be a hero? What helps him determine right and wrong? Oh, that's a really good question. So what I love about the MCU portrayal is that they do not beat you over the head with, this is why he does what he does, which yeah. is what everybody else does. Because they go, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Boom, hits you in the face with that, right? Yeah. Then you kind of like, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I can't be a wrestler. Right, because I have I have to be responsible. I have this power. I can't just go use it. I have to go be responsible. And it's sort of like it just tells you what the premise of the film is. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is just kind of this thing where um, that trope is masked because now we have Tony Stark, who I really like because I feel like the mentorship of Tony for Peter is essentially kind of like a. Um, uh, I think you're better than me and I want you to be the next hero. Exactly. Um, and I think that that's really, really, really interesting. Um, so I like that they don't go the, with great power comes great responsibility. And that just gives us a little, a, a sense that I think that Peter is driven by hope. Cause if you, if responsibility drives you, sometimes that can be driven by guilt. Sometimes it can be driven by shame or something else. I get the sense that, Spidey in the MCU is driven by hope, and it's a very different take than what we've seen before, especially on film. So I, I don't know. I, that's kind of what I had in terms of what yeah. he's other-centric, and it seems just to be an internal optimism and a hope for a better future. Mm-hmm. And I think you nailed it. I think um, if you look at the first two Iron Man movies, especially Iron Man 2, you can see that Tony, very much like Tom Holland's Spider-Man, um, 
is was very much I'm gonna be a hero for the sake of being a hero because mm. I think it's fun and I think I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that famous line at the beginning of Iron Man Two where he's like, "I've successfully privatized world peace." You know? <laughs> you know, so it's like he he's he's very arrogant about it. He's just in it for the kind of the attention right. a little bit, and I think he sees that. Peter is very similar Mm. um, and he wants to steer him away from that path. He wants to be like, look, I see where you're coming from, but you have to be better than me. I've made mistakes. You remember Ultron? That was my bad. (laughs) So uh, we we have to, I want to, you know, teach you to be better than than who I am. And I think, I don't know if Peter quite gets that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I like the line, I think it's in Civil War, when he says to Tony, he says, um, when you can do what I can do and the bad things still happen, they happen because of you. Yeah. Mm. And he's not a dark emo character, but that shows a depth to his character mm. that really, really sticks, mm. I think. And so he can be the goofy guy, he can make the jokes, and he can do all that stuff, but that depth still holds strong, even just from that one line. Yeah. I mean, that that line is essentially a take on, you know, with great power comes great responsibility without right. force feeding it. It's yeah. basically saying, you know, if you have um, the ability to to do what's right, then you have the responsibility to do what's right. And that's, I feel like, you know, in not so many words, that's they were basically saying, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we keep talking about Tony, so let's drift over to that question a little bit here. Um so we've talked. Obviously, we like the relationship between Peter and Tony, um, and we've talked a little bit about what draws them together. But Scott, what do you think? I mean, I know you said before what made Spider-Man popular is this idea that he doesn't need to be a sidekick; he can mm-hmm. be the hero. Yeah. Yet this is a dynamic where he's not a sidekick, but he's definitely a a mentee to a mentor. Yeah, you know, for sure. So, does that undercut things at all, or what do you think? I don't know. Maybe it, I honestly I think it might just a little bit. Just yeah. because Spider-Man is supposed to be it's supposed to show people that age, teenagers that like you can make a difference immediately. You yeah. don't have to wait until you're older like all the other superheroes are. You can just start now. Um, and I mean he does that. Hmm. So, I mean obviously we're not taking too much credit away from him, but right. the fact that he does so under Tony. Well, I mean, I don't know cuz even at the end of Homecoming, it shows that even when all of this all of his toys were taken away from him, he's still going to go in and do what's right. I think yeah. I think that's the strong part of Homecoming is is the final act when he has to commit to just doing what's right even though he's significantly depowered without the suit that he's become accustomed yeah. to. And then Tony wants to give him the super high-tech suit and he actually turns it down. And he turns it down. Yeah. yeah. Mm. He's like, I don't need your help anymore. Yeah. You know? mm. that's, that's awesome. What do you think? I I agree. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, do think, I do think that basically what Tony's end game is, I think Tony's always looking I know this is not an Iron Man podcast, but Tony to me is someone who has some of that guilt motivation because he knows that he's screwed things up. He created Ultron, like you said. He, he knows that he needs responsibility. We talked about this, um, I think, on the Civil War podcast, right? Like he's the one that says, like, I need accountability. Somebody please add accountability to my life because I'm not perfect and I'm going to screw this up again and I don't want that. Um, but so I think when he sees Peter... It's so funny because he sort of rejects it in Cap. Mm. 
But when he sees Peter, he's like, well, maybe this is the next guy who can lead everybody. And maybe if I guide him the right way, he can do it without screwing up the way I screwed up. Um, and it's kind of nice to see Tony try and like have Peter unlock those secrets. But yeah. I think in some ways, Tony's learning from Peter as they're working together because it's like, oh, this is what an, an optimist looks like. Oh, this is what somebody would say, like, you're going to turn down a suit. Like, I would not tune down the suit. I'd figure <laughs> out how to use the suit. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's kind of a really fun relational balance that they're playing with there. And it works really well for the film because it's super fun. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What do you what do you think about Happy? We've talked a lot about Tony, but what yeah. about how does the interplay with Happy come across to you? Uh, he's interesting. I mean, I've always liked him as a character yeah. uh, thrown into the MCU in little places. I like that he's getting more of an opportunity to shine. If I'm being real honest, I think it would have been better for him to die in Iron Man 3. Like, it would have been more impactful mm. for the story. Um, but I do like that they that they kept him around for a purpose. They, they put him back into the MCU with, yeah. uh, with Homecoming. And almost like acting as kind of a liaison between uh, Peter and Tony. Um, which is very, very interesting. I don't know. I feel like I would like to see him maybe used a little bit more. I have, I have, I have a theory that when the day comes when uh, Robert Downey Jr. was going to leave the MCU, they might keep Happy around as like mm. a Stark liaison mm, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would like to see him used a little bit uh, more even, I think. I feel like Happy in Homecoming is almost threatened by Spider-Man. Yes. Like they don't show oh, you that explicitly. That's a good point. But he's kind of like, well, I've always been Tony's guy. Who's this kid? <laughs> you know? It's like, I, I definitely get it. He, was, he, he showed a lot of that in Iron Man 3, I think, too. Yeah. Uh, when he was, like, updated to security. Like, he was overcompensating. He's yeah. like, I want to make Tony proud. I want to do this job perfectly. <laughs> and I think, yeah. I think, yeah, seeing that Peter is Tony's new golden boy, I think he's a little bit put off by that. Yeah, mm. I think so, too. Um, I think that's a really good take. I didn't really have anything to add at all. But I do have a John Favreau story. Ooh, <laughs> I don't think I've told this on the podcast before. So my friends, uh, my friends were, were like, hey, we should go watch m- the movie Made, which is sort of a pseudo sequel, like not really sequel, but similar cast to um, Swingers. Swingers. So we went down to uh, Orange, um, which is in Orange County, and we went to see the movie there. And John Favreau was there signing posters. And so I go up to the to get my poster signed, and he's like, "Who should I write this to?" And I'm thinking in my head, like, "That's lame. Like, nobody. Like, why would anyone else want like a post? Like, why does it need to be signed to me? Like, it seems weird." So I'm like, "Oh, just sign it." And he's like, "Gonna sell it on eBay, huh?" And I was like, "Ha ha." And I wasn't <laughs> like, I was gonna keep it, right? Like, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. I'm l- watching Dinner with Five, which is a show that he was on, and, mm-hmm. and it's with him with other all these other actors and stuff talking about this. And this is before Iron Man ever came out. This is before he was asked to direct a bunch of these films and things. Um, and he goes, you can always tell the real jerks when they come up and ask you not to sign it to somebody because they're going to go <laughs> sell it on eBay. I was like, whoa, he's really bothered by that. He could, he's calling me out. And what I think so funny about that was if you had told me that now this is going to be a guy who goes on to direct not only some of your favorite films, but then also he's going to be asked to do a Star Wars series. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> Oh, I wish I would have handled that better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not really. He has no clue who I am. But I just thought that was really funny because it's like, I've met that guy and now he's doing this. That's crazy. I've always been the same way, though. I, I mean, I don't get autographs that often, but I never mm. want anybody to, like, say to Daryl or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I got Marv Wolfman's autograph recently. Yeah. And I just wanted him to write his name on this beautiful piece of art yeah. that yeah. George Perez had drawn. You know, I'm like, right. 
I just want your name, you know? Yeah, because it's not so much for me so much as it is I respect you, yeah, and I, this is a cool piece of artwork, and it's yeah. cooler if you, your name is on it. Yeah. Your name makes this more <laughs> that's valuable. That's right. That's right. Mine makes it less valuable. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. <laughs> um. So, hey, real quick, before we move on, uh, we just want to let you guys know about several ways that you can access more content from the Story Geeks. So, first is our blog. Over at thestorygeeks.com, you can find out about our latest YouTube live shows and additional content written by our blogger, Ashley Pauls. So, check that out. You can check out things like our recent 100th episode with Josh and Angie Taylor, where we count down our top 10 geek films of all time. Mm -hmm. um, and then Ashley went ahead and did a blog with her top 10 as well. So That's right. go check that out. And then lots of other recent episodes on there and other cool stuff that we've dove, dove into lately. So that's all over at thestorygeeks.com. Yeah, if you dig the, the MCU, then our dig deeper into Captain America's character journey with Helen O'Hara is great to check yes. out. Um, and also, uh, you can check out, if you're into Star Wars, you can check out our Raylo episode <laughs> where we tackled Raylo and the concept of Raylo and why it's even out there. Um, but thestorygeeks.com also has links to all the ways that you can support us. Uh, so you can support us on Patreon. Patreon is a website that allows fans to support creators like us, the Story Geeks. Um, and when you support the show for as little as $3 a month, you actually get access to additional content, both audio and video content. If you love what we do, we would greatly appreciate your support. It really means a lot to us, and we give back to you by giving additional content, which is pretty cool. And actually, if you want to see some of the kinds of additional content that we give back, you can actually go on Patreon right now, and for free, without even supporting us at all, you can get access to um, our follow-up on our Top 10 Geek Films podcast, where Josh and Angie from Network 1901 joined us to talk about the honorable mentions that didn't even get yeah. onto our list. And there was a ton of those. So you can go check out Patreon. Um, the link should be in the show notes, so go check that out. Um, or you can just search Patreon for the Story Geeks, and we'll show up there, too. We also have a t-shirt shop. So if you go to shop.reclamationsociety.org, you can purchase Story Geeks merch. I'm not wearing one of the Story Geeks shirts right now. Um, I think it's probably in the wash. But you can purchase one and support the show that way. If you're supporting a Story Geeks t-shirt, you know that you dig deeper into geek stories, just like we're doing here. So if you want to identify with that, be sure to support us and check that shirt out. And last, but certainly not least... We have another sponsor, Modern Mouse Boutique. Modern Mouse Boutique sells geek fashion accessories. They have some of the best mouse ears out there, hands down. If Now, I'm a, I'm a Disney fan, and I go to the parks all the time. If you're a Disney fan, then you should check out some of the stuff that they've got because it's really cool, really classy stuff, um, and it's really produced really well. Um, it's really the design and the production standards are fantastic. Um, so... You can use code STORYGEEKS, all one word, STORYGEEKS, no spaces, STORYGEEKS, and that will get you 10% off your next order. Head on over to modernmouseboutique.com. The link should be in the show notes. Uh, people love their mouse ears and love a bunch of the other fashion accessories that they have. 10% off, code, promo code, STORYGEEKS, no spaces, one word, STORYGEEKS. Links to all of those things can be found in the show notes or on our blog at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for letting us interrupt. Now let's get back to the show. All right, let's dive back in. So um, in the comics, Peter famously loses Uncle Ben, which is a big, bar a big part of his driving force. Mm -hmm. 
And I think we get the sense that that's still true in the MCU, but we don't see it happen. So um, I'm curious, Scott, start us off here. First of all, what is it about losing a loved one that is a compelling catalyst for a superhero's journey? And then also, how do you feel about the absence of Uncle Ben in Homecoming? So I think, narratively speaking, losing a loved one is almost like a, a really quick literary shorthand to helping us sympathize with, with the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's something that, even if we personally haven't lost a loved one, we, we understand what it would be like, or we can imagine what it would be like to lose someone that we care about. It's, it's something that's so uh, almost primal that we understand uh, if someone's really important to you and you lose them, like that, that really shakes you up. And I think, um, you know, it's a bit of a trope, it's a bit of a cliche, but I, I always, I, you know, that doesn't make it inherently bad. I think if it's executed uh, well, then it becomes, uh, you know, then, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a trope or anything. And I think that Spider-Man specifically uh, executes it uh, perfectly because yeah. it's this, you know, it's that iconic scene where um, it's not just like Uncle Ben got killed randomly. It was by a person that Peter could have stopped if he had done yeah. the right thing. And that just eats away at him and shapes his whole identity and, and you know, forces him to become, to use his powers for good and, and instead of selfish reasons. And I think that, uh, you know, that's such a simple thing that everyone can, can relate to. Hmm. Do you feel like it's a, a gap in Homecoming because we don't get to focus on it? I Maybe a little bit, but I, I kind of what I was talking about earlier, I, I like the fact that we can imagine what it is. Yeah. Because, like, I, I think it was done really well in the Tobey Maguire movies. I, it was pretty much perfectly ripped from the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Garfield was done a little bit differently. Um, and, they, you know, he never ended up, like, catching the guy. It was kind of yeah. a little <laughs> loose plot thread in this, <laughs> this thing. But, like, yeah, it was – I think uh, – it's, it's something in, in Homecoming or in Civil War where we get to imagine what must have happened. And that gap allows us to, you know, project something that is maybe even worse than actually happened. And that makes it feel a lot heavier and a lot like the fact that he won't talk about it and he doesn't yeah. mention it is mm-hmm. something that is like it must be really traumatizing, really fresh even to the point where um, he won't even, like we as an audience don't even see it in flashbacks or anything. And I think that adds to the, the mystery and the, um, you know, the, the heaviness of, of yeah. that event. Hmm. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I think, uh, so I'll just, I'll just speak from my own experience. I don't think we can truly understand the gift that is life until someone close to us dies. Like, like, I think that you kind of just, you kind of just take it for granted. Like we're living mm-hmm. like, like that's how you go about your every day, right? Like yeah. you wake up, I'm living like you, there's no other context that you have. Um, so when I was, uh, 12, 13 years old, my mom was diagnosed with stage three cancer. So if you listen to the podcast a lot, I've probably talked about it. So you probably heard me talk about it. Well, I know I've talked about it. <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about it. Um, and I remember that when the stage three cancer was present, life suddenly became far more real. Like, like in other words, you wake up every day and you go, like, life is a thing. Because otherwise you don't really, I don't really think that when I wake up in the morning, like, oh, yeah, life's a thing. Yeah, like, right. But when someone around exist. you, yeah, 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 yeah. You just, it is it is what it is, right? Um, and then the world becomes far more real and the world becomes far more dangerous. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. now there's, some, yeah. there's things out there that are intense. 
Um, now my mom went into remission for 17 years. Um, and I remember distinctly thinking that when her cancer came back, I would think this multiple times I would go, you took all of those years for granted. And it's not like I was doing anything stupid. It's not like I was like just goofing around in it, but like to, to know that like, to know that like, this is, this is real. You knew it was real back then. You know, it's real now because the, it's back. You took everything for granted in the middle. Um, is just such a, such a, it's a really difficult thing to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, we get so comfortable with life that when we're then faced with death, it just makes us so uncomfortable. Um, and I think with superheroes, it's the same thing, only it's amplified. Like, I think what you brought up with in terms of Spider-Man mm-hmm. directly is that when he's doing the other thing and then Uncle Ben dies and he could have done something. Yeah. I mean, that's a really powerful moment for him to be like, oh, I took all of that for granted. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. I can't take it for granted anymore. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, because... I know from personal experience, like having close loved ones pass away, you get this sense of like, what could I have done something? Yeah. I, and with Spider-Man, the answer the answer is yes. He right. could have actually done something that would have made a difference, and that's the thing that tears him apart. And I think a lot of people feel that way is like, what could I have done? And for most of the answers, it's probably nothing. You right. know, life is life, and that things are going to happen. But with Spider-Man, there is a tangible thing that he could have done. Uh, to save Uncle Ben, and he didn't yeah. do it. And I think the absence of Uncle Ben from Homecoming um, is interesting because I don't think, like you're, like you're definitely right, Scott, when you say that, like, wow, it must be something intense. But the fact that we don't see it makes us not experience the emotion with him the way that it was done in like the Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Like we experience it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually, it feels like, wow, that's something that's deep. That's something that's meaningful. But I guess I can move on because it seems like he's moving on. Yeah. In a kind of a different saying. way. Yeah. Which I think gives us a more lighthearted portrayal of Spider-Man overall. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. I think there's multiple ways to take it, too. You know, I would actually really love to see the character of Uncle Ben explored, even if they never show the accident that happens. Like, you leave oh, yeah. you leave that part still a mystery, so you project onto it whatever horrible thing that your mind comes up with, because yeah. we're all weird people. But, like, <laughs> I love the idea of introducing him as a character in, like, I don't know, flashbacks. It doesn't even have, you know, it could just be stories that, like, Aunt May talks about or something. Yeah. Like, really fleshing out that character, but never talking about what actually happened, I think would make it even more um like severe and really more tragic yeah 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 i think the the loss of a loved one you're right it is a trope but Mm. but i think if you really let it sink in it's a great motivator i keep going back to this quote i pulled it up from interstellar Mm. that matt damon says in interstellar where he says um we can care deeply selflessly about those we know but that empathy rarely extends beyond our line of sight hmm and I feel like if you take a superhero in the position where they lose somebody that they do deeply care about and that they know, then that sort of cautionary tale yeah. becomes something that they would care deeply about preventing other people from having to go through. Mm. So I feel like it informs a superhero's motivation to protect. Really Definitely. Well. I yeah. mean, especially modern Spider-Man comics um, dive into his philosophy of always trying to save the day, making sure that nobody dies 
everyone's safe. Like, mm-hmm. he'll even blatantly say it. He'll be like, no more deaths. <laughs> We're going to – everyone's going to be fine. We're going to figure out a way to do this without yeah. killing anybody. And I think that a big part of the reason is because of not just Uncle Ben, but, of course, Gwen Stacy. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the people that he's lost – basically because of stuff that he's done and I think that really affected him yeah. a lot. So That's I wonder cool. if this is just like wild speculation but I wonder if after Avengers 4 we're going to see Tony die and then mm. sort of be like Tom Holland's version of Uncle Ben. Yeah. You know? Ooh, that'd be I think you're right. Yeah. I think that that'll do it. I, do you think then that Robert Downey Jr. will give us one last line delivery of like with great power comes <laughs> great responsibility? Probably in I, some I, sort of offhanded way. I bet he will. Yeah. It'll probably be super sarcastic too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. kid, I bet you're going to go on and think that with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about villains a little bit here. Because I think the Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming is arguably one of the best Marvel villains. Would you guys agree with that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So why is that? What do you think makes him such a good villain? And do you think at when Homecoming came out, his inclusion, do you think that sort of signifies an increase in quality from MCU villains? Because we've had some not-so-great ones. Mm. So what do you think? Yeah, I think I definitely think so. I think the villains... Um, since Homecoming and maybe even a little bit before Homecoming have have progressively gotten better. Um, You know, obviously, like, Killmonger is another great one, I think. Even Thanos I was really worried about, but I actually really liked him in Infinity War. Um, But, yeah, Vulture was just really awesome. Uh, I think Marvel is learning that you need to give as much or even more characterization to your villains than your heroes because your heroes are going to be around for several movies so that you can you can expand upon their character as, as time goes on um spider-man was already in civil war when homecoming came out so mm-hmm. having to spend a little extra time on the villain i think the movie even opens with with vulture yeah like, like forget yeah. about spider-man let's <laughs> talk about yeah. vulture it's all about <laughs> vulture before the before yeah. the uh, Marvel logo comes up. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you, you, a big part of his backstory and his personality is, is kept hidden from you until the big kind of twist reveal. That, Which like, is such a good moment. I didn't see that coming oh. at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love, my, my heart sank when that happened. I was like, <laughs> no! Um, and I think, I mean, and that's a great reaction to have in an audience. Yeah. And, and the fact that they were able to do that um, means that they really made their villains, uh, especially Vulture, just outstanding. And mm. that scene in the car after they oh after Liz goes into the dance. <laughs> That's my favorite scene in the movie. Oh my gosh. It's one like, of my favorites in any Marvel movie because the visual storytelling of like when he yeah. figures out Peter is Spider Man, the the light turns green <laughs> and it lights him up in green and, and uh, the amount of control that he suddenly has over him. Yeah. Like it's actually very frightening how vulnerable Spider Man as the hero yes. is right then and there. And you feel like Peter you can tell with Tom Holland's acting, he feels like Scared, yeah, mm. you know, like Vulture's just a guy, and Spider Man's got powers. And, like, yeah. I mean, I don't think he had the suit at that time, but like, you know, he at least had superpowers, and yet he still felt like powerless yeah. compared to, to Vulture, yeah, yeah. Um, we talk about this a lot where we talk about there's two types of really good villains, really strong villains. The first is the villain that you like literally know nothing about, and it's just like pure evil. You're like, yeah. why, <laughs> the Joker. yeah, right? The like, Joker there's no, there's yeah. not much backstory, but what's going on with him? Um, 
not much backstory, depending on which comic you're reading. Sure. Um, but the other kind of villain that's fantastic is the villain where you go, not only do I understand why he's doing it, I can sympathize to him or, or empathize with him to the point where I could see myself doing something similar mm. given the same circumstances. I would secretly yeah. sell alien tech in order to protect my sons. Right. <laughs> right. I think, well, uh, even with Joker, I think even though we don't know a lot about his backstory, I think he still talks. You, you can see bits of his philosophy throughout. You know, he wants to prove that just right. one bad day can make anyone go crazy. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think with uh you know any villain you're gonna have to relate to them even you, you don't have to relate to that philosophy but you understand where they're coming from mm -hmm. yeah i'm not a huge fan of villains who are just like the evil guy for the sake of being the antagonist you know <laughs> yeah. like they, they have <laughs> just to, wanting to conquer the world yeah you yeah. know ronin like <coughs> ronin <laughs> <laughs> like even thanos was like he you could understand where he was coming from he wasn't just evil for the sake of it he had an idea and he had a plan yeah he was a bit twisted he was a bit mad but like you know you you can understand and i think vulture's very similar scenario where like you you get it you you yeah. get that this is a guy like the opening of the movie shows that he's just a guy who's trying to earn a living and he keeps getting kicked around and like he can't he wants to provide for his family and that's yeah. really all it is no question yeah i think um for me i would probably put Killmonger is, I think, I had to think about this longer, to be fair, because um, Kylo Ren might fit in there somewhere. But I think that uh, Killmonger is the best villain since Heath Ledger's Joker, yeah, really. which I think is the best of all time. Um, and Killmonger, we had, we had there's a, there a geek group I'm in, and they were talking about, like, who's better, Thanos or Killmonger? And I think that Killmonger is better because you can actually track back to not only what their motivation is, but also why they have a passion for that motivation. Mm -hmm. It's very well-rounded in terms of its, oh yeah, I can see why he would have a passion for doing that, accomplishing that thing. Not just the motivation to do it, but also a rationale that makes sense for it. Mm -hmm. um, I think Vulture fits in that category. Um, Thanos has a couple of other things going on that make him a really great villain, but uh, Vulture fits into the Killmonger category in my mind where you go, I kind of, I kind of understand. It's not just a motivation to hurt other people because they've been hurt. Yeah. There's something beyond that. There's like, yeah. no, no, no. I want to solve a problem, and I don't care how harsh I am or how hurtful I am in solving it. That to me is a vulture killmonger story. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, even if you see a, a Zemo story, he has plenty of rationale, but it's I really just want to hurt people for revenge's sake. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. I like I like him a lot. I think he plays really well. Peter plays great opposite him. Yeah. So definitely. How do you think Peter shapes Vulture in the movie? Oh man. I mean, we talked a little bit about the fear in Peter when he yeah. finds out who Vulture is and stuff like that. But how do you think Peter affects him? Because I think he does. I mean, certainly by the end of the uh, movie, you know, he he almost has a. Uh, a change of heart on Peter where it's like, yeah, I don't like him, but you know what? I almost like a respect for him yeah. and a respect for what Peter does and what he stands for as Spider-Man. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, what, what would you say? What is your, what is your take on that relationship? I think maybe he helps 
uh, I always want to say Stanley. I don't know why. I always want him to be named Stanley Toombs, but it's Adrian Toombs. I think he helps. Stanley Toombs. I don't know why. Friendly Stanley. I don't know what right. We'll I say his middle name is Stanley. Sure. <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> That's right. But I feel like he maybe actually helps round out Adrian's view a little bit. Like, yeah, I think he comes to respect him a little bit. And I think he starts to see that there is more consequence to what he's doing. Hmm. And it's not always all about protecting his family because now Peter is close to his family mm. and is suddenly more of a threat to him than anything else has ever been. And so I feel like that sort of gives him pause a little bit. But I guess the bigger question is, I'm curious what you guys think. At the end of the movie, do you think they are still enemies? Do you think he's still a villain? Because we get that post credit scene, right, where he meets mm. uh, the scorpion. I believe, yes. Because of the tattoo, you see the scorpion tattoo. And um, he definitely protects Peter's identity. Yeah. The reason behind that, maybe we're not totally sure, but what do you think? It strikes me as a very um, almost... uh, Peter in the comics has had several villains that very specifically um, don't like him, but they want to take him down in their own way. Like, you have Scorpion and everyone who want to team up, do the whole Sinister Six yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, I think some people, uh, Green Goblin occasionally, um, is a very personal, I want to be the one to take down Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. He'll team up with people as well um, when the situation calls for it. Venom is a really great example of, Venom just wants to do his own thing. Venom mm. is like, I'm not going to team up with anybody if I have the opportunity to. I want to take down Spider-Man. I feel like that's the vibe that I get from from Vulture at the end is like yeah. I don't I still don't like him I respect Spider-Man I don't like him I'm not gonna help you guys take him down because if anyone's going to then I want to be the one to do it by myself almost yeah. like as, as a redemption um, but you know I, I almost kind of get a vibe that he's almost reluctant to, to, to take down Spider-Man because mm-hmm. he's like you know I I kind of like this kid he's kind of growing on me sort yeah. of a thing it's a very interesting it's like, I love villains who are very almost patronizing in that sense. Yeah. Where it's like, I could take this guy down. I could help these guys out, but I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> think it. I think it's cool because I think it shows that the things that he's doing, he has a reason to do them. Right? Because, like, we'll see, this, we'll see this in, like, uh, you'll see this in, like, organized crime movies, right? Where organized crime is occurring and it is occurring in its own ecosystem. So it's the intention of the people leading the organized crime is not to kill other people. They, but then they're forced to because they're forced to to protect themselves from something. And I kind of get the same sense um, of Tombs uh, or Vulture in the, ca- in the sense that, well, if Spider-Man can just leave me alone, I won't deal with them, right? Like if, if he forces my hand, okay. But I'm also not gonna, just going to give him up because – I don't inherently want to see harm come to him. It's just that he keeps getting in the way of everything that I'm trying to accomplish. And I think that that, that fits with Toom's character. Because he's only doing those things because he's like, well, the government screwed me over. So what what use do I have for them? I'm going to do what I'm going to do to save my family. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have an inherent, like, like I want to hurt other people. It's just if they get in the way of him trying to save his family and, and make the money he feels like he needs to make, right. that's where it comes up. So I don't think he's, unless Spider-Man was again to get in his way, it's kind of like, well, I'm trying to accomplish this thing. You're getting in my way. You got to do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, I might be reading too much into this because I tend to do that, but <laughs> I think there might be a slightly deeper thing where 
in a way, Adrian is cut off from his family now. Like, he's in prison. They could go visit him and stuff. But I'm sure he doesn't want them to see him in mm. prison in that way. Yeah. So I almost feel like Peter is now a link back to his family uh, in a way. Yeah. You know, not necessarily a direct way that he's going to exploit or anything like that. But I don't know. Like I said, I read into things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I sort of get that vibe. Like, well, that's cool because there's kind of a range in there, right? It's like yeah. it's like no, he wants to take care of him himself. Yeah, right. right? Which is like <laughs> even him becoming more evil. Yeah. Then there's like, well, he'd only do it if Spider-Man's in the way, which he probably will be again if we're. Unless, and then and yours is kind of like no, they're kind of buddies. <laughs> well, no, I'm not, not buddies. And I'm not even saying he's not still a villain because I think he probably is, and I actually yeah. I hope he is. Yeah. Because I think it's that's great. interesting, but um, I think. He's developed maybe even a subconscious dependence on Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because it yeah. links him back to who he used to be in a way. Yeah. I also think that he's he told Spider-Man more about like his his like I think Spider-Man knows more about his his criminal life mm. culture, than than maybe he told his family. Like his family knows that he's yeah. a criminal and everything. They know like probably the basics, but I think he really, you know, monologued at Peter and like really showed him his philosophies and he thinks that maybe Peter's like someone who who doesn't maybe agree but understands where he's yeah. coming from and I mm. think that's and vice versa Peter knows yeah. more about his personal life than yeah. any of the other criminal people that he dealt with that's true mm. so Peter's really closer to him than just about anybody else yeah those are great points so um, so let's talk there's a lot of different stuff in Spider-Man Homecoming that we haven't seen in past Spider-Man films so I want to kind of go through some of those and see what you guys think. Mm -hmm. So it was fun for me to research this because, like I said, I didn't read Spider-Man growing up. Mm -hmm. I know the big stuff. I know about Mary Jane. I know about Gwen Stacy, mm -hmm. Uncle Ben, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And so for me, when I saw Homecoming for the first time, to me, it felt like they created a lot of characters. Yeah. But when you go back and research it, they really didn't. Like, they just pulled different ones in. Yeah. So... Um, Things like Liz. Liz actually is yeah, Liz a character. Yeah. She's not the Vulture's daughter in the comics, mm -hmm. but no, mm. little then, uh, yeah, a little uh, <laughs> work. That was good. Yeah. I like that twist. Um, Ned as well is a character from the comics, oh, yeah. that's right? And so on and so forth. So I want to just kind of go through a few of these and see what you guys think. And and you being kind of our resident Spider-Man expert, <laughs> you can tell us what you think. But let's start with the suit with the tech suit that Stark gives him, or Karen, as Karen. he comes to call her. Very, <laughs> I, I actually really, I, I was skeptical about this uh, going into it, seeing all the different, like it basically felt like a Spider-Man version of an Iron Man armor, because yeah. it kind of was, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I was very skeptical about it, but I actually, it grew on me, um, because it, it goes back to that thing I talked about at like, the very beginning, about how Spider-Man is a very clumsy, very unlucky character, and I think the addition of the suit made it, so he had these moments where something backfired or, or operated in something that he, in yeah. a way that he didn't expect. And I think that kind of showed that Spider-Man isn't like this perfect hero who's always going to do everything flawlessly. He's right. going to screw up. He's going to, you know, hurt himself or do something silly. Um, or maybe even he'll use a quirk in the suit to, uh, you know, be creative and figure out a creative solution to things, which also shows off his, you know... Uh, brilliant mind uh, so I was skeptical about the suit but it, it definitely grew on me I I think after in future Spider-Man movies I would like to see the suit kind of return to 
a little bit high tech, but not as crazy yeah, as it is. Not in 500 like, different modes. Or right. No, <laughs> nothing as crazy as that. I mean, yeah. not even like I, I like the the Iron Spider in, in, in uh, Infinity War. I think that's a really fun callback to the comics. Yeah. But I would like for that not to be his permanent costume. Right. I would like him to just, um, you know, to, to have a couple little gadgets and gizmos here and there because he, he does in the comics. But like, yeah, I don't need it to be crazy. You know? <laughs> totally. Uh, I think so. this is really interesting from a storytelling perspective um, because in the context of this story, it works flawlessly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. You've got the mentor relationship with um, Iron Man. Um, and I have no complaints because I'm always looking for like, why is this happening? They fill in all the blanks. Like it's, it, All the whys are there from a storytelling perspective. If I remove myself and say like, okay, now what do you really think of that? Not like not because they told you this is the way it is, but just because you're going to respond to it. I don't really like, so I love it in the context that it's in. But if you ask me like, no, what do you think about it? Uh, no, I don't really like it because I do think that he be, he becomes Iron Man Jr. Yeah. As opposed to Spider-Man. Yeah. So I kind of agree. Like, I hope they don't take it too far. Um, they've already kind of taken it farther than I would have been comfortable with. But again, I only think that subjectively, if you take me out of the story, when I'm in the story, it's, there's no it complaints because it works. Yeah. 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 I like it. I think maybe it's a tad bit overused yeah. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we could have done with less scenes for him to have the wide eyed. Oh, this is so cool. You know? <laughs> um, one of the things I love so much about it is actually outside the story is just who they got to voice Karen. Oh, just yeah. makes me happy. Remind me who it is. It's um, Jennifer Connelly. Oh yeah, who was married to Paul Bettany? Oh, I didn't know that. This is Jarvis. Oh, there you so go. That's really funny. It's a nice yeah. little connection. There. I didn't know that. Yeah, how that's about that? Great. And I did like the fun little interactions he had with yeah. her. And I yeah, th- I like th- like him locked in the in that pl- in that place for like overnight, just talking and just being yeah. like, I don't know. What do you think, Karen? Should I tell? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like how long have we been here? Thirty-five yeah. minutes. What? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun. Yeah, it's a fun kind of um character to bounce things off of yeah how do you feel about a younger aunt may because typically what we've seen before is aunt may Mm -hmm. i mean sally field was a little bit younger but Mm -hmm. typically aunt may is sort of the older nice gray-haired lady very old i actually liked the younger aunt may i thought it made more sense it makes sense to have uh, a younger aunt than a super elderly yeah i think in (laughs) most scenarios you know um and I just I thought she was just a ton of fun to watch as well. Like she, the, her yeah. character is like it, I think she was given more personality in the few scenes that she was in. Her and Peter's relationship, you could really see it, um, see how much they cared for each other in just the few scenes that she was in. Totally, yeah, yeah. It's so it's it is funny because if you think about it, it does feel like Great Aunt May. Yeah, right. It yeah. doesn't feel like oh wait, that's his aunt, like his grandma. He's yeah, like his yeah. grandma. Um, so I, do, I will say that that's that totally feels true. I work at a university and I'm getting old. And what's funny is, is that in my context, when I see this is my, this is, this may not be true. I have no data points to prove this, but I feel like when I was younger and I would see my grandparents, they seemed real old. Right. And my parents seemed like pretty old. That context may still be true because I have aged and I don't see age the same way. However, I will tell you that from what I remember of my parents being Aunt May's age versus what I see in the modern day college students' parents, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, they look young, dude. Like, yeah. like society is kind of like, it seems like society has said youth is more important than it used to be. And we've seen people kind of adapt to that. So it kind of just feels like the way that the world is working now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes sense. I think it also gives us a little bit more to latch on to. Mm-hmm. As her for her character, mm-hmm. not that you couldn't get that depth from an older actress, but this just sort of has a vibrance to it that lets us relate to it a little bit better, yeah. and not just automatically put her in the box of grandma. Yeah, yeah. You know? I feel like yeah, previous movies, um, especially the Tobey Maguire movies, uh, made Aunt May feel like a grandma, and I think yeah. as they've aged her down a little bit in in you know, the consecutive uh, uh, sequels and reboots and whatnot. I think it makes Aunt May feel more like, uh, almost more like his mom in a sense, which I mm-hmm. think is yeah. the vibe that, that they want to go for, is like, yep. you know, not a grandma, but like an actual mother figure to Peter. And I think, you know, it's a, it's it's just a visual change from someone older yeah. to younger, but it makes, I think it, it's an impact. Yeah. She really does feel like his mom. Like you she can does. forget that she's not his mom yeah. while you're watching the movie. Oh, Genuinely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, so how about the inclusion of Ned? So Ned actually is a character from the comics. Ned leads and, um, becomes a hero in his own right for a while. Right. A little bit. Yeah. But, and in the comics, he's, He's more of a colleague at the Daily Bugle to Peter, yes. right? Yeah. As opposed to a, as a fellow student. But what do you think about For Ned? For sure. I think uh, Ned was, I mean, I t- he was great in the movie. I loved him a lot. He was very funny. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to take the, the path with him in, in the comics of actually turning him into a more prominent, you know, uh, person as well. But, like, I, I like the idea that he... Who is uh, it that he becomes? He, I. It's one of the goblins, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like he, he puts be, on one of the goblins. Yeah, suits. he. I think it's hobgoblin or something. Okay. All the goblins are confusing to me. <laughs> um, but I think he becomes a villain, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to take that path in the yeah. movie. He seems a bit. Um, Different. I think they're they're they he's are the really the he's the guy in the chair. They're really <laughs> leaning into that uh, that kind of trope a little bit um and i think it's great i think he he nails it the the actor they have for him is very fun and very entertaining to watch yeah and uh i i get the sense that you know he and peter are just like really good friends and i think that's a good dynamic to have because typically in spider-man you know stuff his best friend you know especially in the past movies is like harry osborne and I and I think that's a fun dynamic to pull off, and I'm glad they went a different route yeah. in this one. And they're just like, here's a different character, still kind of goblin-y, but you know, different uh, different attitude altogether. Yeah. yeah. And growing up a geek kid like they were in that movie, yeah. I feel like they nailed the friendship between two geeks really well. Yes, like he, Ned felt like a like a a fan of comic books in a comic book movie, yeah. and I loved that. I totally would have been excited to go over to my buddy's house and put together the Death Star. Yes. <laughs> I still Absolutely. want to do that. Are you yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what we're doing after the podcast, yeah, actually. Right. Putting uh, it yeah. So I think the, the inclusion of Ned is... Um, so I love it when, when someone takes a character, they make the character different, and they embrace that difference in every way possible. Because here's another circumstance where 
when you have with great power comes great responsibility that turns you into uh it can turn you if you're not intimate with your relationships into a loner which then adds to your angst adds to your your feeling of push and pull to all the characters around you you mentioned the relationship um with uh name slipping me what's the name of his friend and um toby uh, mcguire harry osborne harry osborne yeah um his friend with his friendship with Harry Osborne is this tenuous one because it's like I can't tell him what's going on, but I like him as a friend. And he's right. dealing with some issues, and I've dealt with some issues, but we can't be intimate because I can't tell him these things. All of those things work to create emotionally complex Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. But when you give someone a friend that knows you, that knows you so well, they know what your secret identity is. Yes. Now he has somebody that's like, you know what? With great power comes great responsibility. But I've got a buddy in this. Like, it's not all on my shoulders. It's on our shoulders, and he can help me out. In Infinity War, he does. I need a distraction, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And immediately, like, oh, I'm helping him out because I know he's going to go do something cool. Yeah. And I think that that is so awesome. And so the the, the way that they've embraced we're not telling the same Spider-Man story, mm -hmm. it carries through in all these other areas, and Ned is one of the best ways. And he's also such a fantastic character, and he's hilarious. He's so fun. <laughs> There's so many moments in Homecoming that just cracked me up because Ned was in them, so... And I think they, go ahead. Well, I was and I think all, Ned also provides Peter um, an opportunity to gloat about the superheroics that he's so proud of. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I interacted with these guys. I, I stole, <laughs> I stole now? Cap Shield. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you know, awesome. he gets to relive a lot of those moments, which yeah. I yeah. think helps him get through the fact that you know Tony's not calling on him anymore. Yeah, I will say if they bring Harry Osborn into the MCU version. I hope they cast somebody who doesn't automatically look evil. Yeah. Because I think both James Franco and especially Dane DeHaan mm -hmm. just looked oh, like they, they were, were ready to take that sure. turn and be, yeah. you know? <laughs> I want somebody with a, a little bit more mystery, I guess. You don't think that Willem Dafoe looks super normal? <laughs> <laughs> the man who already has a goblin face? Exactly. The living joker? <laughs> Exactly. It's like, can he smile in not an evil way? I'm not, no, nope. I'm sure he can, but it's just he has a perfect look for that. Yeah. No. You know what? I will say, this is off topic, but there's a movie in which Willem Dafoe, for me, actually does play a very likable oh, yeah. and heartwarming character. And it's a weird movie to say that about, but it's John Wick. Oh. Interesting. He, yeah. he also, um, Josh is in the room producing the show, and, and Josh and I did a... Thumbs up for that comment. Yeah. Well, Josh and I did a show um, about Jeff Goldblum. We walked yeah. through all the movies of Jeff Goldblum. Oh, wow. And um, he's in a couple of them, at least, Josh. Yeah. And one of the ones I would say he, he's really endearing and really awesome in is Life Aquatic. Yeah. Like, he's oh. totally somebody where you're like, that guy's awesome. And he's just trying He's trying to like have a relationship and trying to be somebody. That he, yeah. It's just it's great. So yeah, I think he can be. I was just... Yeah, he, he can also he's, play a really villainous dude. Yeah, he's got a range, but they usually use him for yeah, one thing. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, how about Mary Jane? So typically Mary Jane is the supermodel type, right? Mm -hmm. She's the, yeah, literally the perfect woman, yes. Yeah. In this, Mary Jane actually would would have fit really well with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man because yeah. she's emo, she doesn't care about anything, mm -hmm. she's not the obvious like mm -hmm. hot girl at school sure you know so what do you think about 
the Zendaya version. I love her so much. Yeah. I think she's great. <laughs> I think, you know, there's there's a huge, there was at the time a huge internet backlash about like, you know, she's not actually Mary Jade or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but like, come on. She's, she's great. Yeah. I think she was very fun and very entertaining to watch as well. Um, I want her to have bigger roles in, in the future yeah. movies because I want her character to be fleshed out more. Um, and, I think, I don't know, I, she was just very, she was an interesting dynamic to throw in with everybody else who seemed very, like, optimistic and, like, yeah, let's go do this and save, especially, like, compared to, like, Ned or uh-huh. even Peter. And it's mm. just having that character who's just like, no, I'm just going to do my own whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it was just, it was fun to have. Yeah, I think, too, like, uh, I like the fact that Marvel is keeping some of its heroes very traditional. Mm-hmm. Their cap is very traditional. Yeah. But also being progressive with some of their characters. And by progressive, um, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about they're saying this is basically the standard character, but we're actually morphing that character into this new character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're different. They're not the same of what you've seen before. Yeah. And I think it's you've got to do that because when you're telling stories – Sorry, when you're retelling stories, you you're telling them to different generations. And so different generations are going to react differently depending on. And yeah. I think that what we're seeing from the Mary Jane now is much more identifiable to the, to the generation now mm-hmm. than it would be if you included the other Mary Jane, the more right. traditional Mary. It'd be more like, mm-hmm. we don't encounter that person as much anymore. You right. know, it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't, we don't gravitate towards it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. For sure. Um, and I, I I agree. I like Zendaya. Is it Zendaya or Zendaya? I, I know, never know. Say it. Yeah, <laughs> but I like her a lot. I really liked her in The Greatest Showman, and I think she's mm-hmm. making interesting choices. But mm-hmm. um, one thing that will be kind of fun because yeah, I love the different take on the character too. I think it's really cool. But um, yeah, I mean, especially for three Spider-Man franchises in, like yeah. Yeah. let's get let's get <laughs> exactly. right, right, right. Um, but I love that. So in the comics, she's taller than him, right? Mm, yeah, a yeah, lot of the times, like she towers like a, over him. Yeah, she's a supermodel for sure. Which, mm. if they let things be as they are in reality, mm-hmm. will be the case here too. Like yeah. Zendaya is way taller than Tom Holland, so mm-hmm. oh, no, I would love cool. to see them just let that be represented in their <laughs> future together. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Okay, just one more of these. Um, just a different take on Flash Thompson. So, looking back in the comics and the other versions of the movie, Flash Thompson is the jock. He's mm-hmm. the bully. Mm-hmm. He's the bruiser. You know. Yeah. And in this one, he's really more of a, he's got like an intellectual superiority yeah, complex and he's yeah. snarky. And so what do you think? I, you know, it's another thing where they kind of took that on its head. I think I, what I love about it is, you know, the whole jock bullying, the nerd thing is very much, I think, um, like of the time of like the, of the sixties when it was written, it was very tropey, yeah. very cliche. Mm-hmm. I think what this does maybe unintentionally, maybe subtly is almost kind of hint at the fact that like, Hey, uh, anybody can be a bully. Anybody yeah. can be horrible. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, you, even the smart people are sometimes the worst. Um, and I like that idea that they didn't, they didn't make it so tropey. They didn't make it, you know, like cast a role, like bully is jock. Instead they made it like, no, no, no. He's on the, the, you know, what, what team is it? I can't remember what, you know, the, the, the debate team, the debate yeah, team or yeah. whatever it is. Like, I like that. He's a, he's basically a, a, a peer, a colleague of, of Peter essentially. And yeah. it's just like, but still kind of hates on him a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's an interesting take on it. Yeah. I have nothing to add. <laughs> I just love, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. And I like that it, 
it makes him seem a little bit more vulnerable as a bully too because we don't get mm. to see that a lot like a lot yeah. of times bullies are just jerks and they <laughs> yeah. pick on you and that's it but in reality if you're a bully you're probably incredibly insecure to begin with yes. so we get to see a little bit of that with him we see that and i think that's a huge thing that like none of the other movies a lot of the other movies just show him being like a bully for the sake of being a bully you yeah. know and i think here you not only get to see a little bit more of his personality and kind of like his insecurities of himself and yeah. like how he's actually not as tough as he thinks he is. Um, but I think also it shows, it, this is the first Flash Thompson on film that I felt is genuinely annoying in like the best way because <laughs> it, it makes it feel like, yeah, he's annoying. That's how a, that's how a bully of his age would be. He would just yeah. make terrible dumb jokes all the time and think <laughs> he's all funny and whatever, you know. Totally. I will say, however, that I have a soft spot for the Flash Thompson from Sam Raimi's trilogy. Yeah. Because it was played by Joe Manganiello, who... I didn't know whoa, that. Whoa, I didn't know that either. Yeah, and it was one of his first film roles. And it's funny because he looks like the bully. He's huge. He's mm -hmm. ripped. He looks like that guy. Yeah. But he is a huge geek. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And his story is that he got picked on a ton for being a geek, and that's why he bulked up. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. So I mean, it's kind a fun of little inside thing to have him playing Flash Thompson. He he wanted to be yeah. Peter. Like, that's what he tried out for, but he was too big to be of Peter. Course. Like, he just didn't fit the stereotype. Yeah. But, I love the idea but, um, that, that the scene where he, like, bullies Peter, like, it shows Peter kicking the crap out of him pretty uh -huh. much like get, almost <laughs> getting his comeuppance and I love the fact that inside uh, Joe was like yeah this is what I always wanted <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> we'll have Joe on the show sometime ah oh, man that would yeah, be so great we'll get I've, him on I've heard under other interviews with him and he's he seems like such a cool dude he's so fun to listen to <laughs> um, okay one other thing I want to talk about before we start to dream about the future a little bit <sighs> is we have a little hint of Miles Morales in this movie. Sure so do. we get to meet Aaron Davis, played by Donald Glover, who is in the comics Miles Morales's uncle. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening and you don't know who Miles Morales is, he is another Spider-Man. Started as the, the Marvel Comics ultimate line of Spider-Man, but has now been morphed into the main continuity and mm -hmm. is just another Spider-Man. Yes. So um, how did you guys feel about the inclusion of Aaron? Do you want to see... Miles in the MCU? What do you think? I do. I think not for a couple of years, though, because yeah. I think something that makes Miles really interesting is that he is a little bit younger than Peter, and mm -hmm. Peter already is very young in the, in the MCU, so I think they need to age him up a little bit mm. and then introduce him, almost like redo, like once once Peter ages out of high school, um, which he's almost sure to do as the MCU goes on, then we we can introduce Miles as a, a high school student, almost like re going back to the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and um, and I mean, obviously, Miles was inspired by Peter, uh, which is why he you know became the next Spider-Man after Peter spoilers died in the Ultimate Comics. <laughs> um, and I think I like the idea of uh, you know, like Peter having fans like I feel like he needs to to make a big impact I, I, I think Spider-Man so far in the MCU has has made pretty okay stuff like he, he's made some waves but I think he needs to make a huge impact in that universe in order to get to inspire people like mm. Miles uh, to eventually come in and, and kind of take over mm. a little bit and I don't know if they're I don't know if they're gonna have him take over or also be Spider-Man with Peter who knows mm -hmm. 
possibilities are endless there. Yeah. How do you think the two of them would affect each other if they were on mm. in the same film? Well, I mean, they've interacted before in the comics. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I don't know, it, it, it would be, it would almost be like, I, I like the idea that Peter, you know, if we make age up Peter, then we introduce Miles as a high school student. It's almost like recycling um, the idea of, of what Tony sees in Peter right. and tries to mold him. Yeah. Peter will see that in himself in, in Miles and try to mold, you know, try to help him out along the way as well, yeah. which I think would be cool. Because I don't think they're going to kill off Tom Holland to introduce <laughs> Miles. I think right. they're just going to, they, they're probably just going to introduce Miles and then have them maybe be, maybe one of the Spider-Man sequels will just be called Spider-Men. Who knows, <laughs> you know? Um, but well, yeah, the comics I think, have gone nuts with different spider Oh, for like, sure. There's tons of them. And, and I like, yeah, I think it would be fun, like almost poetic to, to have Tony and Peter's relationship shown again in a new context with Peter and Miles because it would show how far Peter has come as Spider-Man yeah. if, if, you know, he's learned a whole lot hmm. and wants to pass that knowledge on. I think that would be really interesting. For sure. What do you think about Miles? Okay, so this kind of... It kind of bleeds into my next answer <laughs> a little bit because I, I already know what the questions are. Daryl yeah, shared yeah. the questions. But there's something that's maybe too morose about me mm-hmm. that kind of loves the idea that they would be bold enough yeah. to say, no, Tom Holland is done. Like, yeah. he's gone. He's like, there's no coming back. They're not, we're not reversing time. It's over. And if that was the way that Miles Morales was introduced um, – he is supposed to be a whole lot younger. I don't have a lot of context in Miles Morales because I got out of Spider-Man comics before he was kind of mm. sort of introduced, or he might have been introduced, but I was introduced to older Spider-Man comics. Sure. Um, and but I do think there's something really bold about that. That because I would say that the foreshadowing here it's kind of like a Last Jedi moment. The foreshadowing seems to to go right in alignment with what you're saying from a short foreshadowing perspective. I would expect. Uh, Tom Holland to sort of start to morph into the new Iron Man and then he goes well it would be great to have a Spider-Man so let's you know Miles Morales is the new Spider-Man but to subvert all expectations and be like the best Spider-Man you've ever seen mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore we're Damn moving on that would be crazy so I don't I'm not rooting for it per se because I love Tom Holland right. as Spider-Man but it's so intense so so, so there's a there's a Old, not it's not actually that, that old. A couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, there's a comic book that's not canon, unfortunately, because I love the idea. But it, it's about it focuses on Thanos. He finally gets like the Infinity Gauntlet, and he wipes out all of life on the planet. And he realizes, you know, the dangerous like how little value the universe has after he wiped out everything. Mm-hmm. He realizes that he has to set things right and bring yeah. um, life back into the universe. And one of the parts at the very end that I love is that he sets it, he resets reality so that all deaths are final. Like the, the whole comic book oh, cliche no of way. heroes coming back yeah. and, and yeah. fake out deaths. He, he resets it so it's like no more if a hero dies, they're done forever. Which is why I hate that it's not canon. Because I would love for Marvel yeah. to be that ballsy to with their yeah. yeah. um, exactly. And I, I think it would be really interesting if they took that route after Infinity War. You know, whatever the next Avengers one's going to wrap up that storyline. If they're like, look, we've had fake out deaths before. Coulson, uh, Fury, yeah. 
you know, even Happy in, in, in mm, Iron Man 3 yeah, was on, yeah. the, on the brink of it. There have been so many people who have almost died but not quite been there. And I would love if they really just said, nope, from now on. All I mean, even Thanos himself says it in Infinity War Part 1 where he kills Loki, spoilers, when he, and he <laughs> says, like, no resurrections, no tricks. Yeah. You know, and it kind of yep. sets that line of reasoning. And I would love for Marvel to commit. And if they did kill off Spider-Man to make it a big thing and be like, no, that you think we're, we're not bringing him back. You yeah. think we're bringing him back? Yeah. We're not bringing him back. Gone. Move on. <laughs> Miles Morales, bring <laughs> yeah. him in. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I w- that would be cool. Although I would love to see. So what I would like to see from Miles is Peter still being alive. Basically, I want to see Miles be the first legacy character in the MCU mm. and mm. see him have to deal with that. Ah. And I know it's possible that maybe Bucky would become the first legacy yeah. character because he might have to take over as Cap if, sure. we, lose Steve, if we lose Steve Rogers. But mm. I want Chris Evans to stick around. So hopefully yeah. that's not going to happen. <laughs> and I would like to see Miles Morales be the first one to become a character who is named the same as another character who already exists as that character. Mm. That was really roundabout, but I think no, you get my point. No, I gotcha. As a side note, I have this idea that I just thought of where um, <laughs> where we have, if Captain America dies in a future movie, and it's up to, it's between Bucky and Falcon on who's going to become Captain right. America, because they've yeah. both become Captain in the comics. Yeah. I would love if there was just a whole Bucky-Falcon buddy road trip movie where, like, maybe... They need to deliver, like, maybe Steve wants to be, like, super simple premise. Steve wants to be buried in a very specific plot, uh, maybe next to Peggy or something like that, right? Yeah. So they have to take his casket and drive across country to to put it in a very specific plot. Villains might want to come in to, like, maybe get some of his blood and, like, get some super... So, like, there's some threats, but it's all just those two trying to argue over, like, who gets to, you know... So it's just a road movie. It's just a road trip movie (laughs) with some, like... Yeah, I I love that idea. That's awesome. Let's make it happen. I like it. I like it. I'd watch it. Um, Okay, we've already started a little bit, so let's just go for it. Let's dream about the future. All right, Bucky, um, Falcon Road Trip movie. Yeah, we got that down. <laughs> Step one. Tom Holland's dead. We yeah. got that down. <laughs> we got yeah. that all done. <laughs> but no, what would you guys like to see about a future Spider-Man? I know you're excited about the possibility of Mysterio yes. showing up I have been on record on at least a couple podcasts or live streams laying out my three movie structure of Spider-Man I'll and part, again. part two <laughs> so part one Vulture that was just a, a given I wanted to see where they were going so sure. I have I have my two sequels planned All my right. second sequel was always going to be Mysterio okay. always how and do you f- feel about Gyllenhaal uh, I don't hate it Okay. Um, he's, <laughs> I, I Jay probably hates it. Yeah, he he's never. I don't. I don't think he's ever been in anything that I've loved. Um, yeah, that's how I feel too. yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've necessarily hated him. And said, well, that's not true. I, I didn't. There are a couple <laughs> movies that I'm just like, oh, really? Um, but I don't know. I, I'll give him a shot if if that's the route they want to take. I would love. My big thing about Mysterio though is I I know they're not going to, but I would love if Marvel embraced practical visual effects for the movie uh-huh. because that's who Mysterio is. He's a filmmaker. He's a guy who specializes in practical effects to fool Spider-Man. Mm. Do you um, want him to have like the fishbowl for a head? Of course like I do. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would love it. I would love. But like I know they're gonna CGI everything yeah. because it's yeah. cheap and it's easy. But I would love for them to embrace the idea of like this. This is a character who specializes in practical filmmaking. Let's make a film practically. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that was always going to be my, my sequel was okay. we have Vulture who tested him um, almost, uh, you know, 
through his like philosophy and, and whatever and sure. just like a moral standpoint. Mysterio's gonna challenge him most likely by having a small army of threats. That's Mysterio's mm. whole thing. Is he he plays mind games and also he usually has like robots or like other illusions that would create that would trick Spider-Man mentally um, to kind of hone his powers. I think that's a really interesting way. With sequels, especially superhero movies, you have to make your villains seem different. It's the reason why in um, Dark Knight Rises they didn't want to do like Riddler because it would have felt too much like Joker. So like we have Batman tested mentally, now we have him tested physically. And I think you have to change it up like that. Uh, So I think Mysterio would be like a more mental... uh, challenge towards spider-man and then can sorry real quick yes can, i haven't read a whole lot of comics with mysterio in it can he pretty much just do anything um so he's just a dude but like he's he builds a lot of um contraptions that so he, he's not like a sorcerer he's not a sorcerer oh, i thought that, he was okay. no that's just a that's the persona that he puts on okay. he's just a filmmaker um okay. he's a he's a character actually that got me into doing youtube stuff because i played the spider-man 2 video game um, and th- he's a huge part of that video game, and you dive into his backstory a little bit. He start you actually get to see his whole origin story in that video game, because mm-hmm. um, he starts out as just a guy who who wants to test Spider Man, okay. and then Spider Man bests him, and he wants to become a villain and challenge him and everything. And and that got me into filmmaking, and that eventually got me into YouTube stuff. So I love Mysterio a lot. Um, mm. But yeah, he's just a regular dude. And I think what's really interesting about Mysterio though is you if you if Spider Man and him are face to face. Spider-Man will win every time. In mm. fact, the animated series and the video game of the Spider-Man 2 video game both show this where once you get past all of his traps and contraptions and illusions, um, Spider-Man always takes him out with a single punch. Yeah. Like the video game does a really <laughs> fun thing where like his health bar grows and grows and grows and grows and then you just punch him once and he's out. And, uh, and, he, <laughs> and I love that idea. So he's he's not a very like physical threat. He's a very mm. mental threat for Spider-Man. And then, post credit scene of, uh, of Spider-Man okay. 2. Here we go. <laughs> you get, like, it's raining. It's like this dark property, right? You don't know what's going on. And then uh, you see a guy. You see, like, I don't know, like like animal heads on the walls. And you're just like, you know, a guy maybe reading a newspaper and you can you can tell that he's about to hunt down Spider-Man. It's Craven the Hunter. Ah. We're doing we're doing Craven's last hunt in uh, in the Spider-Man movie. And who's Ooh. playing him? Uh, Danny Trejo. I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> I think off the top of my head, um, I would love that. And then maybe from there, because part of that story is that Spider-Man dies, you know and then who that could set up Joe Manganiello. He sure could. Right. Yeah. He sure could. <laughs> that's cool. But yeah, that's that's my three part. And then um, uh, Craven tests him physically with all sorts of different. Um, you know, he hunts him down. He he wears him out, and he you know it's a different kind of a threat. I think it's it's not as my my thing. The reason why it's never going to happen is because Craven is not a very visually interesting character, like someone like Mysterio or like Doc Ock. Or you know, Vulture with all the mm-hmm. flying and all the gadgets. Craven is very much a you know, um, a very primal kind of character. He'll mm. hunt Spider-Man down with things like you know, just rifles or something, oh, which is yeah. not very interesting for audiences to look at. Mm. I think. But Nemo was not an interesting character. Or sorry, Zemo was not Zemo. an interesting character. And in yeah. my mind, one of the best Marvel villains out there. You're not so. wrong. 
Maybe. I'm hoping for it. I would love for that to happen. What do you want to see, Jay? I think that sounds pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that uh, it'd be really fascinating to me. I'm not sure what to think of the Venom movie that's coming out. As of this recording, it hasn't come out yet. But by the time Disney makes this buyout, their bid went way up. Um, So they could be purchasing uh, Fox. And I think that'd be really interesting to see the two Toms working together. Mostly because I respect the the hell out of both Toms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tom Holland, Tom Hardy. Although the problem case. with that is if Tom Hardy's gonna be Venom, yeah. we can't have Tom Hardy as Wolverine. I know. It oh, is a problem. Right. That is a problem. <laughs> I know. But I do I do really uh, think that that could be an interesting one. I I primarily say that because the most interesting scenario and perhaps the most tragic scenario is Tom Holland is done as Spider-Man and he's dead, yeah. right? Probably not likely. Like, even in the question, that, as the way Daryl worded it, it was like, it's a safe assumption he's coming yeah. back. It's a very safe assumption. But, right. man, if they do that, going back and watching Infinity War again is yeah. the most heartbreaking thing exactly. in the world. Exactly. would be. be like, oh. Exactly. That's why I kind of hope that they don't do that. But um, I so if that scenario is not going to happen. I would like – they're getting progressively darker and darker with Spider-Man. And I would like to see that continue. I don't think we've seen a really dark film in the MCU yet. I would like to see a really dark film in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it could be a Spider-Man film. Uh, Maybe you even include Venom. Maybe you even include Deadpool. I'm not sure. um, With a Fox buyout. But I think that something really dark would be appropriate given what he's now experienced. Yeah. As a character. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool to see that incorporated. Yeah. Um, I definitely just want to see Miles Morales brought in. And I want to see I want to see the trend of a different take on Spider-Man kind of continue. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't I don't necessarily feel like I do need Uncle Ben to be brought into it at any point. Like yeah. the where it is is okay. I don't need to see Gwen Stacy. I don't even need to see Harry Osborne or the Green Goblin or anything like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think they're building a whole new cast of characters. Yeah. I do want to see the relationship between MJ and Peter. Yeah. And I would love to see that really solidify and be like a tight relationship, almost like what Tony and Pepper have gotten to, and just see her be an important character in that whole world. Now, in, in current... Um, or, or more modern comic books, the relationship between Peter and MJ uh, has kind of been rebooted to a sense where they're not actually in a relationship, but, yeah. they, but they have a very tight friendship. Mm. And I, that's the kind of vibe that I want from them, is I want, I want their characters to build into a sense where, like, maybe they're not dating, maybe they're not in a relationship, but, like, they're, they would do anything for each other like they're just mm. that close and mm-hmm. I, th- I like I've always liked that vibe between them I think yeah it's cool well that's all the questions I have yeah is there anything else that's just been burning in your brain that you want to say about Spider-Man before we wrap up uh, I mean maybe he could cameo in the Falcon Bucky road <laughs> <laughs> but like other than that I don't have anything definitely that would be cool well, that is it for today's show. Special ga- special thanks to Scott. Thanks for yes. coming by. Oh, really, really, really fun. appreciate it. Yeah, super fun. I had a great time. Um, make sure you go and subscribe to NerdSync. Some of the best edited videos that I've seen out there. Oh, thank Fantastic you. writing, too. Um, thank so, you so much. Go check out NerdSync. 
Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, we're going to kick off uh, another Marvel podcast with Ant-Man. So that'll be awesome. We're going to dig deeper into Ant-Man and some of the themes there. We're also going to, you may have heard our uh, Make It Better Jurassic World podcast. We're actually going to talk about Jurassic Park and go a little bit back. Um, and Justin Weaver will be joining me for those couple podcasts and for live shows as well, which would be back on our normal live show time frame, uh, Thursday nights at 7.30. So don't forget to subscribe. If you're watching live on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. So not only to NerdSync, but also to the Story Geeks. And be sure and, use, use, be sure and subscribe where you get podcasts as well. And to be clear, I'm not being fired. I'm just going <laughs> yeah. I'm just going on vacation. <laughs> Justin stepping Justin's in for a couple in. Weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so also be sure to connect with us on the Story Geeks Facebook group, like we mentioned earlier. Let us know your thoughts on this show. Tell us what you want to see in the future of Spider-Man. Let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes for us. The link to that Facebook group and all the other links that you need are in the show notes. Yeah, if you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcasts or live shows, please share our show with a geek friend. And to check out all of our other content, don't forget to head over to our blog at thestorygeeks.com. Yeah, and really quickly before we go, Scott, just let everybody know where they can find you and NerdSync as well. Yeah, you can find me on YouTube is the best way. Uh, YouTube.com slash NerdSyncProductions is, I think. We've had some trouble with the URL in the past. <laughs> you can just look, search for NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. Uh, that's how you spell it. So uh, that's where I do video stuff. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the best place is just search for NerdSync on those. Or my personal stuff is uh, at Scott Nicewander. Good luck spelling that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's... It's not how it sounds. No, <laughs> those are my main places. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories. And always seek the truth.